You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and Bing.com, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Teen Wolf After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Teen Wolf After Show. Hello, AfterBuzzers. Bing is for doing, and we're here doing another AfterBuzz TV After Show for MTV's Teen Wolf Season 3, Episode 8, Visionary. I'm your host, Kristen Elizabeth Snyder. Joining me this evening, AfterBuzz TV host, Sarah Stratton. Hi, guys. You may recognize our special guest this evening from movies such as The Dark Knight Rises, Pearl Harbor, Interpretation, TV shows such as The Client List, CSI, The Mentalist, Boy Meets World, and most recently playing Peter Hale on MTV's Teen Wolf. Please welcome Ian Bowen. Hi. Happy to be here. So happy to have you in studio with us this evening. It's awesome. Love it. (laughs) I have to ask, do you always play the bad guy? Because I mentioned Boy Meets World because you egged and TP'd Mr. Feeney's house. I absolutely did. In Boy Meets World. And um, that's kind of my theory why your eyes are blue. Is that it? You know, lately I've been it's, I've been trending a lot towards uh, bad guys. Um, and it's not something you really choose necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, you just want to take this or just want to take that. But as I look back lately, I've been playing a lot of really bad dudes lately. Um, I did a, a thing on Major Crimes, and, and that guy ended up being a really bad dude. And so that's all cool because the bad guy's a lot of fun. Um, you get to do a lot, you know, of interesting stuff, and it's not always so pat. So right. um, as far as the blue eyes go, No. <laughs> The blue eyes are what make me sweet. That's, I mean, that's how I come back. That's his redeeming. That's my quality. redeeming quality. He did not. Some people don't hate him, right? He didn't kill Mr. Feeney in Boy Meets World, but he killed his spirit for teaching. I mean, after that episode where you egged and TP'd his house, he didn't want to teach anymore. He was going Details. to retire. Details, not my problem. Seriously, not my problem. See, he really doesn't care. <laughs> he really doesn't have the side and see what happens after the fact, Carrie. All right, talking about the episode this evening, we got a lot of answers and a lot of character development this episode. The irony of these storytellers, though, from my perspective, is that they're both kind of the antagonists who are responsible for what happened in these stories. That's what's great about the uh, the, the way it's set up in the narrative, right? So mm-hmm. you've got you've got Gerard Michael Hogan, right. terrific actor, and you've got Peter Hale telling the story, and so you assume that that they're telling the truth, and then you see what they're telling, right, as they narrate it. But you're not sure if what you're seeing is how he remembers it, how he wants you to remember it, or what really happened, because they contradict each other from time to time. So at the end, you're supposed to try to figure out, like, the motive and who wants what. And that's what's so tricky about this show is you Mm -hmm. never really know what people are going, you know, going for, going after. What's their agenda? They're good or they're bad. And, we know, we blur the lines and, you know... Nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. It's something that I like to go with a lot. Um, That's the evil side of him talking. That is the evil <laughs> side of me talking. Um, so you're going to have to wait and see. Then, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure, you know, either. All this stuff isn't necessarily resolved at the end of the season. I mean, it's got a long, you know, it's got a full arc that right. goes, you know, goes onward. Um, but certainly, you know, you can always rest assured things aren't as, as they seem. 
I mean, I would agree with you. It's like this whole, the whole, throughout the entire episode, you're watching, you're comparing, you're trying to find the truth. And I was just worried that they were going to take Gerard and Peter for their story, like completely mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. So when we get that flip at the end and we see that our two kind of more hero characters, yeah, <laughs> um, can see through that and see through a level, um, uh, past the words and into the thought process and into the people they're talking to. I right. thought that was important and good. But also on that, you know, Dylan um, Styles' character is the one that sits down. He's like, "Hold on a second When he's talking to Corey. He's like, "It sounded funny," and it, it, you know, he's the one that, that that clicks with. And we assume that everybody that's not in that scene that that I wasn't directly telling the story to will at least hear the story or that they they know the information, but they don't necessarily know that element of maybe there's something fishy here. So right. uh, that's another great avenue that um, we assume that they see what we saw, but they actually didn't. So we're not sure how I can use those relationships to my benefit later. That's it's, also just, it's confusing a little bit for the audience, though. It's because you get that divide of remembering what the characters know and what we've seen and how like they make their choices off of that. They're never going to know the visions like we saw. It's hard for the actors too because yeah. you got to keep all this stuff, you know, straight. You got to remember, wait, do I know that? When did I know that? You know, it's you really have to pay attention when you're reading scripts and you got to make notes and figure all this stuff out. And that's part of the fun of doing the show. Do you have a book of all your notes? About I write your all my my life importantness down on on uh, yellow legal pads <laughs> that my uncle got me turned on to. You know those ones? I do know. Exactly I what you're love them. I've got little clips on the bottom to keep them from dog earing, and everything is. And so that's those are like my Bible, and I just have all the pages, and I can flip back. And if I don't like a page, I can take a tear it out. <laughs> I like that. Get some. Change your life. (laughs) What are we promoting this episode? Um, Let's get into our first topic of blue eyes. And I would like to argue that young love is the best love. The blindness of it, the pureness of it, that unknowing fear of what's to come. And but it never seems to last. But if I could do one thing in this world, I would always choose to fall in love for the first time. Because you are willing to put everything into it, you know, and it's something that you'll never feel again in my mind. I mean, what did you guys, your first love experience, what, were you reminded of it in this episode? You know, go ahead. Do you want to say this? Do, do I want to take the love question? Are you in love right now? Are you in love with somebody? Girl. I'm not in love with anyone right <laughs> now. I'm going to say it, but I have so few Colors about this. get on the line. And I like, um, oh, do you need to say that number? <laughs> no, I was saying it so they could call Sarah. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, She's right. single. Hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. a love line. Um, so, yeah, when you, I think when you fall in love, I think you can, I think you get that every time. I love it. I love falling in love. You I, get it every time. I but fall what about, in love at first sight. But it's is it different immediate. from the from your first love? It doesn't love. have to be. Do you be. remember your first love, though? Yeah. Everyone remembers that. Yes, exactly. But it you can't forget your first it's love. It's so, it's kind of so simple and so pure and so naive that it, you know, and not that it's not truthful, but you can't, you don't even really get it. You're just like, oh, this is so great. And as you get older, <laughs> you still have that, but you can you get it more and so it's uh, to be honest it's better like it's even it gets better and every time it's the same like oh, like <laughs> obviously you. someone's a romantic and yeah. okay, for sure for sure, to be sure so no. I, I just i don't know i've always clung to the to the first who, one who was your first love <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Name. if I should talk about this one. <laughs> Social security number. Where does he live? How did you beat? What was your first kiss? Yeah. Was it in a distillery? I will tell you I that we did people. have a dark corner, and that was a 1985 Ford Bronco. Did you guys have dark corners with your first love? 
as mentioned in the episode. Uh, mine Cars were definitely wasn't so dark. <laughs> it was more like the playground at school. Under the slide, at I least. can do like that bar where you just would do somersaults over. I could do like six in a row. And I'm like, yo, what? The <laughs> Get some of that. Yeah. Instant love, right? Oh, I mean, who could say no? I mean, mine wasn't as creepy as the ones in this show, though. Right. I feel like everywhere. I don't think there's as creepy. I think you, you mean, don't think a distillery is creepy. No, I think it's edgy and romantic, <laughs> yeah, and there's an element of danger to it. There, that's right? what makes it. That's what makes it cool because you're like trepidatious, and you're like, mm-hmm. and you can smell blood. And I shouldn't her. be here. That's what makes it hot. Trespassing. Well, getting Definitely. back to the episode, Cora was trying to <laughs> Cora was trying to explain to Styles why Derek had gone missing after killing Boyd sort of killing Boyd, and our unreliable narrator, Peter, steps in, and he brings light to Derek's mysterious demeanor. And to understand why people are the way they are are right now, we often have to look at their past. And after figuring out, you know, seeing Derek's story, we definitely all can feel a little bit more for him. And so we see Derek fall in love with Paige, the cello player, which I, I was... I loved that scene where they actually confessed their love to each other. The music was amazing. It was Joanna by Def Joe, and you can don- download that for free at That's MTV. That's awesome, yeah. We've got great, great music on this show. Uh, just as a side note, Dino Menengen, he's our composer. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. We had him on a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, so you know, yes. you know him. Okay, yes. so no he's deal. good. And Laura. Laura is great. Um, so it's her. really important that we get good tunes. You know, we don't have a bunch of money to get the, the latest super pop song, but we make the music that sounds just as equally good, if not better. I mean, we've been asking for playlists, so... Yeah, Yeah, no, it's it's good stuff. I I download the songs, and Laura sends me, tweets me some good Mm -hmm. songs. I just, I love it. We Um, have a chance to, I'm going to give a slight spoiler, we have a chance to get, I can't tell you who it's by, but we have an outside chance of getting a song by, like, a incredibly huge artist that if it works, if Laura can work it out, it will blow everybody away. So keep your fingers crossed that you're going to hear somebody that you were going to stand up and clap for. I'm very excited. Keep our ears open, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter, you know, tells Derek that the only way to make sure that he'll always be with Paige is to turn her because what's going to happen when she finds out that he's actually a wolf and she's not going to accept him. And I feel like she was really his his escape from, like, the loneliness of being a wolf because he's obviously one of few in this town. What did you guys feel about that? Well, you know, I think... (laughs) You know, yeah, Derek, at that age, you know, he's clearly different and he knows it, but he's, he, he's managed it in a way that he's not so manic and crazy as, as Scott is not so, mm-hmm. you know, torn up by it. He's able to, you know, have his life and still kind of be happy go lucky as we see him then. And, um, since her, you know, her, her death, he's become the guy, you know, that we know now, the brooding and dark. And, and it's great to see him before that because it humanizes him more and we can relate to him more and, and, and get his pain. Um, and I think that makes him a more important character. And, like, that's important, but there's a line there because the audience gets that. Like, the audience watching it, we saw that Derek was a really good guy and obviously circumstance turned him into being more cold. But if you base it just on the story being told, like, just your version of the story, he doesn't <laughs> seem like that great of a guy. He, sa- he seems like he's always kind of, I don't know, walked on more of a dangerous route versus mm-hmm. like without the visual we wouldn't have seen the happy-go-lucky dare well that's part of you know peter's manipulation mm-hmm. and and depending on who he's talking to and what 
you know, stage he wants to set and how he wants you to think about his story. And, and that goes back to, well, is it which is actually true, what you're seeing or what he's telling you? And, and you which know, does he believe? Does Peter believe? Yeah. That's you know, it's like know. On, on any great, you know, lie, he gets caught up and he, he may not even know to be honest, what happens, you know, if you tell yourself something long enough, you actually can go, you know, I, now I think it was like this. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. And, and uh, you know, it also goes with like what you just said, that, that's part of the, one of the bigger themes of the whole show is how you can take an innocent something and put a circumstance on it and completely change it and then have to deal with that. And that is just, that co- comes up time and time again. And now we're getting to see it. Whereas yeah. we've just heard about it, which like, is really cool. For me, this episode was the, that was one of the biggest themes because it left me thinking about if people can be innately evil or if everyone's changed because you're put in the position to think that Gerard and Peter are the manipulators of the whole situation. But at the same time, we're getting stories showing how people change. So if you really think about it, obviously something made Peter and Gerard, right. who they are, and it's like, what is their story? Why is Peter's eyes blue? And both of them, <laughs> both Peter and Gerard, would say, it's not my fault. Something happened to me. Yeah, You know, no one's born evil. It's, you know, your product, your environment, and, and, and the people around you educating you and giving you experiences, and you, you know, you trend this way or that way, and you have, you know, good guys and bad guys. Um, but also, no one thinks they're bad. In, the, in right. the whole world, and so that's interesting too. So you know, Peter's constantly like, "Guys, it's not my fault. It's not my fault." <laughs> he's trying to make the plan. I serious. So were... that's what's important, I think, for him because he's not just a, a pat, you know, villain that's just muhaha. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really what he thinks he's doing is actually for the betterment in his own mind of you know whatever he can justify it. Right. He thought that, you know, having Ennis bite Paige, then Ennis would be on good graces with Talia, Derek's mom. But unfortunately, her body rejects the bite. And we see her die and Derek, I guess, end up having to take her life, which is what turns uh, his eyes blue and darkens his soul and his brilliant eyes to a cold blue. That's right. That, <laughs> that, I like the blue eyes. So. They do I look know. very cool. They do look, I think I they like, look nice. Really, like, really cool. When I saw them for the first time, I was like, oh, those look kind of cool. Like, I I'll want take the blue them. eyes. Not <laughs> right. terrible. Maybe if they were like a steel black, I'd feel partially bad for him, but they're like blue. Like, I like hey, blue. Yeah. So. But what I want to know is why Peter is this like constant haunting presence in Derek's life. Like, you're even peeking in on it, making out with Paige. Like, you did save his life by catching the arrow, but it's like, you are just this haunting shadow of his. Is he haunting or is he overlooking? Well, you said, you claimed you were his best friend and that's why you knew all this, but I'm not sure he feels the same that, way. Yeah, that that definitely is a claim. And as I, as I watched that line, I thought, I even thought to myself, I was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> that was a lie. I totally don't believe you. Um, he, you know, yeah, it is a little weird and a little creepy he's he's constantly monitoring you know he wants to make sure his plan unfolds the right way so that's you know one thing he's checking in on but i think he's got so many issues that he's so much of a sociopath that he needs you know he needs derek to like him he's clearly got issues there his past and his you know his parents and his childhood and all that stuff maybe will come up later but we can assume it was you know rough yeah um so he's clinging to anything normal that makes him feel good or even just it's like stable, just not a complete freak, which he probably thinks of himself as a total outcast. And so whatever he can do to make friends and uh, influence and be seen as okay, I think that makes him feel like he's not 
you know, doesn't need to jump out a window. <laughs> I think that maybe makes that's a lot what Italian's doing too. You know, his alpha pack—they're kind of his friends. He's reaching out. Well, huh? we can kind of see he wasn't always a bad guy, but we'll get to that no, later. Yeah, totally. Um, Will Styles Stile says he's going to ask Derek about this, but I'm not sure what's going to be achieved by asking Derek about this horrible story where he had to kill his first love. I mean, what does Style? What is Styles looking for? Other than confirmation that Peter's lying or not lying, I think that's it. He just he wants to know is that how it went down? Because mm-hmm. he's so, you know he's so bright and he's got it all figured out in his head, and he just needs to put the last piece in. And it would be so easy if, for Derek to say, "Wait a second, it, that's not how it happened." Which I don't think that they'll ever let us see that because it would be too obvious. Right. Um, and then I, you know, the game would be up. So I don't think we're going to get that moment. Something's going to come in the way of that, or I'll find some way to make sure that doesn't happen because I cannot I can't get caught right yeah I think that it can't be that easy it never is um, but I mean he has other or Derek has other people to open up to now um, he, Jennifer Blake yeah basically <laughs> maybe she'll get the truth out oh maybe Styles can get it from Jennifer who knows Styles says it seems like Derek is the one that everyone's after so he should do something but we find out last episode from Deaton that it's actually Scott that everyone's after so I guess it's up to Scott to actually do something well he's always been the focus you know there's been the, the red herrings all throughout to, mm-hmm. to distract mm-hmm. and, you know because it's interesting and, and you know and fun but you know, the show is about the Teen Wolf, and it's it always is going to boil down to him. Even if you think, for sure this time it's going to go this way, it's I would think it always has to go back to him. Um, but they do point. make such parallels, like especially in this episode, just the fact that Paige looked so much like Allison, and they mm-hmm. referred to Derek as being like Scott, or like earlier Derek being like right. how Scott is now. And, and we get that scene in the woods in the beginning that was like a reflection from exactly. the like, first There were so many the parallel lines drawn between their two characters. Yeah, I think that's intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, it lets mm-hmm. everyone relate. And, right. and also for the audience, <clears throat> they feel like they, you know, this all makes sense. This is how people behave. And, and we get this stuff and we gravitate towards other people that are like us and kind of know our experiences. And so it all it all kind of works out magically. <laughs> Hopefully. I think you guys are right. Well, at the end of this episode, we get Derek back at that old warehouse, and he's kind of being hypnotized by that vengeance spiral that Ennis had put there years ago. I mean, I know you can't really say a lot, but Sarah, do you think he's going to go on a vengeance path? What do you think this we can take from seeing this scene? I mean, I feel like we've been on a vengeance path. I don't right. think it's going to be a new thing. I feel like there's been so much vengeance this season. But by Derek specifically do you think he'll make the mistake of following in Ennis's footsteps um I'm not sure I think that we still have to watch Derek deal with the fact of him dealing with the power he absorbed um absorbed from Boyd we haven't seen that yet so I think we have to kind of hit that battle first and see how he's going to deal with his pack before he moves on to vengeance or going against or joining Deucalion like he we still have to see him make that decision Mm mm-hmm I, again, this was like my favorite topic of the episode, and I really loved this episode because I feel like as an audience member, our first love, it, it's like the death of a first relationship. Not our, that our like other mate when we were like in 10th grade was like bitten and carried off by a werewolf into the, <laughs> into the woods and left, uh, for dead, but 
it's like we all can relate to that first relationship dying because that person is dead to us at least like they're not in our life anymore so i really like that we got that little nostalgic topic and we could all kind of relate to derek and and all of our feelings we can relate back to our past and put that into derek's character and we also see it with you know styles um in an episode uh two episodes before the girl at the party Mm -hmm. uh, in the wine cellar they didn't necessarily have a relationship, but he knew her since he was a kid, and you saw how affected he was at that loss. You know, you have Scott and Allison; they've, uh, you know, essentially broken up, and they're, you know, they're a loss. Some of the other characters, um, you know, Lydia Danny lost and her Ethan, first love. yeah, Lydia lost. So that constantly comes up because everybody gets it and has to deal with it. Um, so I think that's going to continue, if not get worse. Mm-hmm. I know you said that like you feel like every time you're falling in love for the first time, but I feel like the pain is the greatest after the first one. Would you at least agree with that? Um, yes, absolutely. When you're younger, it, it's so hopeless. <laughs> it is so devastatingly, incapacitatingly hopeless to lose love that you think you cannot go on. You And you think, mm-hmm. I know this is irrational, Truly, I will not be able to go on. I will probably die soon. <laughs> and that's just it the is. And you know, it you know, it feels, it may hurt just as much when you're older, but you know yeah. it's going to be okay. But there's something about the, that youth, and that's beautiful. I mean, to be so yeah. madly in love with someone, I'll take it. Me too. Let's get on to our next topic, although I hate to leave the subject of love. <laughs> Hunters and werewolves. So we get Gerard telling Scott and Allison the story of kind of, you know, Deucalion's blindness and the origin of how this whole feud really started between the hunters and the werewolves. And uh, Gerard only agrees to tell Scott because he wants him to, like, suck the pain out of him from the cancer or whatever. I really feel like Gerard likes Scott, even though he's throwing him on all these, like, wild chases and not really being honest with him. What do you think? I think Gerard is just clinging to life and wants to have some interaction with something. He's so used to being the brains behind op- the operation that I just think he can't let go of that power. I don't think he likes Scott. I think Scott is just a tool for him to get rid of this pain and to be involved. I think um, he does like Scott. I think he respects him much the same <laughs> way that you're... <laughs> She's making faces. Be careful over there, Sarah. He plays the bad guys. <laughs> I mean, Yo, yeah, have you I mean, seen what I do with the person on the show? Do you know who he is? Don't make faces at him. Um, so in, in much the same way that Gerard, in the beginning, you know, when Allison brought Scott home, he was like, this ain't happening. Came to respect and appreciate him, and especially Gerard, because I think Scott represents something good and pure that Gerard could never be. Right. You know, even though they're, they're quote, foes, I think Gerard... <laughs> You know, I think he respects him. I think he he goes deep down. Yeah, this is a good a good guy, um, and Gerard can't be a good guy. So that's a that's a neat thing as opposed to him just wanting to you know to to beat him or to kill him. Um, it's it's nice to see that that little bit of a pull between like I really I like you, but I still want to I still have to kill you. Do you is think it, Gerard mm-hmm. loves his family then? Like, do you think like he loves Allison like a granddaughter? I don't think he can. I don't mm-hmm. think he's capable that's of separating. You know the mentality between what he wants and what he needs, and and then the the human love of family. He is he is a psychopath. Peter's a sociopath. <laughs> room for improvement. Gerard, complete psychopath, and he just can't. So so his emotions stop at like respect, pretty much. At just any like respect for life at all. I feel like he's always playing defense, and he feels that everyone is attacking him all the time. Yeah, because then it makes it easier to do what you do, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And you're like, hey, this it's not my fault. I got it. I, this is, they did it. 
I'm just, you know, responding. And then you go, right. okay, I can deal with that. And then you tell yourself those lies, and then you can cut people in half with the broadsword, and you can, you can, you know, stab people's eyes you out. You can stab That's people's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally and he can go to sleep at night. Think of that. Yeah, I would have a harder time with that. We mentioning the eyes. We actually get to see that you know Deucalion was trying to make peace, even though Ennis had one of his wolf pack killed because he, they actually accidentally killed a hunter, so the hunters killed someone from his wolf pack. So he wanted vengeance, you know, and Deucalion's trying to say, look, this isn't a good idea. You murder one person, it turns into a massacre, and then, you know, we end up no better than our enemies. So... Which is also another theme. Right, and it was really nice to see Deucalion, you know, he wasn't always this bad guy. That was really cool. always had a vision. Mm -hmm. I really liked him. He's always had a vision. Yeah, for sure. Changing the I really liked him in that first warehouse scene. He was... Uh, just a man, you know, he's totally normal. He was reasonable. And for the first mm-hmm. time, I was like, I can relate to I like this guy. He's a cool cat. And even though he's, you know, a wolf and, they, you know, they kill people, he's, you know, fighting against that the same way Derek does. Derek is not just out, you know, killing people. We, we've we heard from the beginning from all of, um, uh, Argent's, you know, talks about, you know, the wolves and the hunters that we kill those, you know, that kill us and we're defending ourselves. And so we get this idea that wolves are out. You know, just eating people, mm-hmm. and and maybe they are, and so they have to be hunted, and that's fine. But we see Derek, whom we know and love, and he's not, you know, doing anything bad. Scott doesn't have, you know, he's not homicidal, and Decalion <laughs> wasn't, it seems. Right. Um, but then things happen, and this is another theme, and you're like, well, now I have to do this, and so you, the, it's like, why did the war start? You know, and anything, and the, and no one can really remember truly when. Like, why do I hate you? I can't remember why I hate you so much, but I know we do, so we should fight. <laughs> but you should not be Facebook. Yeah, they hate you, but yeah, yeah. On the other hand, but I mean, I I liked the side as well. I liked that we got to see another mm-hmm. side of him as a good person, and also that Talia was brought into the picture. Right, that was a great scene. Like, kind of the interlocking of the webs mm-hmm. in that's happened in the years past this or before this. Um, and the fact that she was, there was a lot of little tidbits of information we got. This episode to me was so much about information and that's what I've right. been looking for and like asking for at the end of each episode. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I definitely want to talk about all those like little pieces in our, in our last topic about the druids and the emissaries. Um, but I really liked when, uh, Deaton advised Eukillian not to meet with Gerard, saying that, you know, your faith in humanity is underestimated and if you don't take and consider consideration Gerard's nature. It's like the story with the scorpion and the frog, which I'm not going to repeat for a third time. <laughs> you guys all saw the episode. It's but a silly story. I'm sorry. I like, story. <laughs> I like, like it too. Great, yeah, I've heard it for years. And it's, want, like it it's great. It's I'm, so poignant. I just still want to make, I just want the frog to make it across the river. Maybe in my mind, does. every time I hear He it. can make it in, in your mind. That's fine. Okay. Um, Thank you. <laughs> well, they, they came to make <laughs> they came to make peace, and Gerard, you know, clearly playing the defense, thought that this was a trap, and so he actually made it a trap <laughs> for them. And the worst part was he killed his own men with the uh, the mace that had the spikes on it, the spiked mace, that club, and it had like the claws on it. So clearly, he could go back to his people and say. Look, it wasn't me. Like, I went there. It was a trap. I barely got out. They, like, killed everybody else except for me. And clearly, he's the one using this club. It, I didn't even see any of the werewolves yeah, So how, how crazy is he in his mind that he actually thinks? Like, he? Belie- I think he believes mm-hmm. in his cause. I don't think he's just 
wants to, you know, kill. He actually thinks this has to happen for the betterment of, you know, mankind, and I'll do anything. And in that, in that sense, you know, that's a. I kind of respect the idea. He's going right. about it, you know, terribly, but. There's something redeeming about someone willing to give up so much and to take on the responsibility of so much, you know, death and destruction and whatever for something they think is noble, albeit crazy. Yeah. On, a, on yeah. an upset. Always trying to find the silver lining. We're trying to find the redeeming <laughs> qualities. It's there. Now. And then we see Gerard. He uh, blinds Eukelian with those electrically powered arrows. Yeah. Those are Where serious. Those? I don't know, but hopefully those were the only two he had because I don't want to see that. It happened again. Um, but we get that that great scene where, you know, we find out his eyes will heal, but he's always going to be blind. And then Marco from his pack thinks that he can't see anything. So this is a great time to become an alpha. But little does Margot know that Deucalion's not always blind, and when he turns into a wolf, he can see, which I loved. I loved knowing that, you know, he can see, actually. Yeah, and then uh, I did like that scene, especially because it shows you in any moment of weakness, these animals will just turn on you, you know, mm-hmm. and try to ascend the ranks. Um, and that, you know, I thought that was really, really telling that, like, you know, your best buddy will... will just kill you just to try to get your power in a, in a second. So who you know who can you trust? Right, and then that goes on the spiral of why you know Dekalion I guess started killing all the packs because he got this power from Marco. But we didn't really see him you know rage or anything until you know he lost his sight. So I mean, losing a sense could really really do something like that to you. What do you think about it, Sarah? I mean, I thought this scene was insightful and like the fact that through death and through killing is the only way he can see is its own message and scary. Um, this is totally irrelevant and only went on probably in my head. So I think it's <laughs> hilarious, but no one else will. The fact that he was blind and saying Marco, I was just waiting for something. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my God. That would be like a day on set if Dylan was there. He would interrupt the scene and like peek his head and go, Polo. And, like, like, stop everything and everyone laughed. I was just waiting. It's all, and I understood that it was, like, a really tragic, like, crazy scene. That's very funny. But the fact that he's blind is mm-hmm. Marco. <laughs> we gotta ask Jeff if that was intentional. The very, very little is unintentional. Yeah, I know. I Jeff is a mastermind. He, yes, so. I mean, I challenge you to find something that he goes, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> really, he's like, yeah, that's in there for a reason. Yeah. Maybe. That's why he doesn't sleep. Maybe I understand Jeff on some level then. Probably I want to I I understand Jeff. I, I want to know more about where that mindset is. He's brilliant. I but know. Um, Once you get in there, you, you might not be able to get out. <laughs> oh, no. Be aware. Enter your own risk. <laughs> um, so since we know Why? that Gerard was lying, um, Scott said if he was lying, he would definitely pay for it. So what do you think Scott's going to do with this information? Do you think Gerard's in trouble? I really don't see Scott ever killing anyone, so... I don't either. I thought that was a threat. I I thought Mm -hmm. about that especially. I was like, wow, that's pretty bold. Like, that's basically him saying, I'm going to kill you. Right, that's what I And he wouldn't do that. So Okay, but if there was one person for, like, Scott to kill at this point, I kind of (laughs) feel like Gerard has the most, like, length of being Mm -hmm. evil. I mean, obviously, Deucalion has a... He's gone a little crazy, too. But... Gerard's been this way for a long time. Maybe he kind of deserves it. To that, I would say, I don't think Scott, for the length of the show, I don't think, and I don't know, but I don't think he can ever kill anybody. I think mm-hmm. that would destroy the innocence His character. of character. Maybe he'll character. accidentally kill him. Except, except there is some kind of 
uh, lore, if you will, that if he kills the alpha that bit him, it then reverses his curse. So if anything, he would kill Peter Hill. Mm -hmm. And then he would be a real boy again. So, but even, (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think he could do that. God, you know what I really what I really like about Scott is he's like the first superhero that never kills anyone ever, and I really want him okay, to maintain that. You have he to. He can't keep that. I really don't think he can. I don't yeah, think that is his his power is not his wolfness; it's his heart. Yeah, that's his power. Okay, if he gives but, that up, then he's just like everybody else. That's right. what I think. I mean, he's rising in this position purely from his character and who he is as a person sure. at heart. But I guess personally, I just don't think that. I think there is some things that are worth killing for. Do you, do you, do you want to talk about some Yeah, stuff? what do you want to kill <laughs> want to for, Sarah? Get it, listen, get it off, <laughs> what I'm trying get to off your chest. No. <laughs> I just feel like if it's like the fate of the town. Or the <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, we can pull up yeah. another seat on this side. Oh my gosh. Really are you switching sides? Are you going to go over there? <laughs> no, this, this might get interesting. <laughs> I'm just saying that for the safety of... The friends and the family. Sometimes you have to cross that line, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he should go on a killing spree or kill him for fun or kill him for a threat. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying to protect the others. (laughs) Well, I mean, if he's the leader of the pack, I'm sure he can ask somebody else to do it or they will just take, you know, command of themselves. But if he does ask someone else to kill someone, that's just as bad as him killing someone. You can go to jail for that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, I, he once. wouldn't do that. Have you looked into that? <laughs> okay, guys. Um, before we get into our last topic, <laughs> I'm not the only evil. Okay, guys. Yeah. Don't forget, you can support AfterBuzz by going to iTunes and YouTube, commenting, rating, and downloading do our show. All of those things. You can <laughs> you can join the conversation by calling our fam line at any point during this live show at four two four two five six seventeen twenty nine. You can join our live chat, and you can tweet at me at Cinematic Escape, and I can read your questions mm-hmm. later if you have any for Ian. Or you can call Sarah Self. Or you can call Sarah Selvin, which we'll give out at the end of the program. She likes long walks on the beach, unicorns, and pizza. I want to read some of our... I'll take the pizza and the walks on the beach. Um, I want a unicorn. If you can can find me a unicorn. The answer is yes. There we go. (laughs) She's taking suddenly. Okay, I want to read some of our comments from our listeners left on iTunes and YouTube last week. Um, Buru Raven said, I had to watch your show before I even watched Visionary, though. It was really fascinating to get to know someone with a resume with the si- like the size of Russell's, and it was awesome that you were able to bring him on. Also, his life stories are incredible and so funny. It was an honor to meet him. I'm sure you like working with Russell. I'm okay. I think, I think Russell is unanimously the most favorite person on set. Like, I think everybody would say that, without a doubt, he's so perfectly him. <laughs> He's the, one of the more authentic per- people I've ever met. That's I a love, great way I to say it. I love Mulcahy. And he lives across the street from me. <laughs> like, I'll literally. See. So we we meet for coffee and sandwiches at the hotel a lot. And I see him driving. And we say, hi, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I love One time, running. I saw him running up the street, like in nowhere in particular, <laughs> just like running, and I, but not jogging. Like he was just like someone was chasing him in normal like, clothes. In normal clothes, and I was like, Russell, what are you doing? He's like. I, 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 I was like, okay, we'll talk to you later. He goes, oh, Continue just, running? Just, yeah, but he, was, he wasn't jogging. He was just... Anyway, was, you had to be That's there. when you when you want to get things done, you just kind of run everywhere. That's the secret yeah. of success. Russell is fantastic. I love him. 
We do, too. We got to bring him on last week. Oh, you did? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and that's why the fans were commenting. They really enjoyed him being on. Yeah, he's spectacular. Yeah, so um, HL Effort says, Just watched Visionary, and I believe that the English teacher is Derek's girlfriend from high school. Remember when she told injured Derek that it would be to his advantage if people thought he was dead when they were together in the loft? I think she was referring to herself. Now, I don't know that this is true, but that would be awesome if it was if English. she was Paige? Yeah, if the English teacher was actually Paige, Paige who died in the dead. woods. You know, dead is kind of irrelevant in Teen Wolf. It it's, never seems to it's stick. It's definitely a relative term, f- for yeah. sure. Uh, um, that would be great. Yeah, that would be... S- I can't really say. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I actually know the answer to that. Right. But I, I had to read that, because I was just like, Proper you know face. what... I was so sad that Padge, that, um, you guys done? (laughs) Poker facing. You guys are in timeout. Uh, I'm going to continue with the show. So So I I really wish that um, Paige, you know, did come back. If she's the teacher, I'm fine with that. If she's some weird, you know, spirit that rose because she got killed by, you know, Peter, when she was younger, it was your idea, so I'm blaming you. Um, then, Mastermind you know, behind all of it. I would not it. mind all blame. of that. I, who, I think that's a great prediction. Just not to interrupt you, but who asked Ennis to bite her? Okay, apparently Derek did, but I think he it was is, you. Apparently, he's a that's story. such a funny he's a word. teenager there, impressionable. Yeah. What was I? You can... You were the one who put the you idea in his older, head. We're virtually the same age. Who planted that seed? Yeah, how... <laughs> How old are you? I just want By the to say, way, when, when Dylan like, said that line, how, how old were you then? And he goes, wait, how old are you now? <laughs> I rewound it three times and watched it. He was so funny. Um, but anyway, that, to go back, that's a very important question, I think, is who actually asked. I may have planted the seed. But who? But who actually, who did it? If he did it, that's different than if I did it. Or if I said, hey, listen, I'll take care of this. Ambiguous at best. I'm going to speculate. Derek was, you know, in the locker room, sitting on the bench, asking. Right, um, so he knew it was happening. Yeah, I mean, because Paige went there to clearly meet up with him, and so he's just kind he of, knew, yeah, obviously. he he obviously knew, but he changed his mind, and then it was too late. So a few more people I want to thank: Baru I mean, Raven, Blood Cold, Wolf's Win, Matt Spike, Jaded Eyes, Persalia, Naughty Six, BX Girls, Pedar, uh, Already Calm, Ed Name, Mister Awax, and Derek Johnson. Thank you guys for your comments. We really appreciate it. And Thanks, guys. Send us your questions, and we'll continue to answer them. Uh, Sarah, did you want? I say mean, something? I think we just knew it wasn't going to end well, being that it started again in the music room. With a metronome. <laughs> Things never end well not from good. that music room. I, I love not that good. music room, but yeah, it's not good. It scares me now. It's it comes a, on screen, I'm like, oh, beacon for bad great. Hmm. Our last topic this evening, before we get into our interview with Ian. That means get ready. I thought this was the interview. This was no. not the interview. I told you. Probing questions. Uh, Our last topic is druids and emissaries. Mm. Um, So we find out that, you know, there's a shapeshifter, Talia, Derek Hale's mom. And she's, like, the most respected. She's very wise. And she's one with nature, sort of. And she's She's powerful. She's working with the earth, which I've always seen, you know, if you're working with the earth, that's, like, your, your biggest alliance, the earth. Because if you've got nature on your side, you can do... You think you're a superhero, probably. Absolutely. So um, they go to Talia for advice and guidance. <clears throat> and Deaton was the emissary to Talia, we find out. And Miss Morell, uh, his sister, is actually the 
emissary or counselor for Deucalion. Thank you for the. I've been waiting. Yeah. That was so a tricky one. To we were, right. what yeah, they were. you and me both. So I was like, come on. And the fact that we got that, I was like, okay. And I like what they are. It makes sense to me. So. It makes a lot of sense. It makes sense to me. I got it. Um, so the emissaries <laughs> are like the balance between the druids and the werewolves. And the druids are kind of the balance between nature and supernatural, which we find out. And um, they, so the druids taught them how to shapeshift back and forth into humans. And we get that whole um, story about lichen challenging the gods and he invited Zeus to a banquet and then he tried to feed them the flesh of humans so Mm -hmm. Zeus turned them all into werewolves and lichen and his family went to the druids to try to get them to help them turn back and they couldn't turn them back but they taught them how to shapeshift and go from a wolf to a human Yep. so at least they get that kind of time off Mm -hmm. from their evil curse which is important so people are predicting that Lydia is going to be the emissary for Scott's pack. What do you think about that, Sarah? Who's doing that? I didn't even think about that. Ooh. Oh, wait, she said Sarah, you go. I'm, well, because yeah. I didn't know if you knew, Talk. but you can absolutely comment. Predictions are our <laughs> I love that idea. Um, that Lydia um, is the yeah. druid for say, Scott's say pack. I love that idea. <laughs> what next? I didn't think about that. <laughs> no. Just to move her arms. Um, <laughs> I actually, I, I hadn't thought of that yet, but mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, she's definitely learning something, and I think that it does coincide with when, you know, um, Scott kind of separated himself from Derek and went on off on his own path. So alignment and time-wise, I think that really could work. Um, but... From my understanding, I want to know exactly which pack that Deacon is assigned to. Because they said Darren. Yeah, I'm not sure. Deaton. But he is not on. I mean, yeah, Talia is not with us anymore. Exactly. (laughs) But so if it goes, does it go directly to Derek? Or if if, um, Scott becomes a true alpha, can Deacon side with him? Because he basically has been his emissary. Mm -hmm. Even if Lydia is changing to be one like he's acted the role of he's been actively like mm-hmm. helping him well, and guiding him I which is the like, role of an emissary i think it's i would just bring up star wars because i love it <laughs> uh you know you've got the the you know you've got Obi-Wan. The, the yoda and then mm-hmm. the obi-wan i think they pass it down i think they have to keep it moving and you know keep the generations um, going. but cause... obi-wan and yoda both are emissaries to luke so he yes, can't. So but Scott saying, can at have some too. point, you have to get the next thing rolling. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see Deaton and Lydia in a scene doing some. I like the idea, and I think you might be right. She is being groomed for something really great. I love this aspect of her character that we, you know, we're not sure what she's doing. Or she's this sort of antenna for, you know, this. So that would be a great line. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Jeff's thinking of that, but I was just thinking. I was just it. having no, a flashback love, love of the fact. Of when the guidance counselor pointed out that Lydia was the one they could turn to. Right, that's she a great point. Morel. Morel. Yeah, so Morel. they already know she about this guided. stuff. They She's know been about on their Lydia. radar forever. Right, but only the... Know. They know job, about Lydia, five. obviously. <laughs> a reaction high five? <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Super loud, guys. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, sorry. So only the Alpha knows who the emissary is, though, for their pack, which I think is great. 
But um, so only Scott will know what Lydia really is if that is to happen and the audience, of course. So I'm excited to see that. And we get to see the Nemeton, which is the bloody druid tree. It's the sacred meeting place of the druids and any cutting or harming of the tree would cause death and destruction. We find out in this episode and there's the Celtic fivefold knot on the tree, um, that symbol. And what I want to know is why would a druid attempt to kill an emissary? Because they had Deaton. So I don't understand. And then the third doctor was found right after Deaton wasn't killed and Scott found him. So it's like, did they put that there as a ploy just to distract Scott? Or well, why would a druid attempt to kill an It was kill hinted in this episode that the dark druid um, was expecting Deaton to live or survive. Like they, Gerard said that. Yeah, which could... But I he think was also true. saying in that same sentence that he was, like, put, pointing fingers at Deaton, saying it was him who was the the druid. True, but I think that there is a point to that fact, that maybe they did know Deaton was survived, or else why would they need to sacrifice someone else so quickly? Also, the fact they brought in the tree, which takes us back to the tree that Lydia drew when she was mm-hmm. free-riding, is a good image, and I think that the foreshadowing of of any danger to the tree is a danger to the area. I think that's going to play a big factor in like the next coming weeks. Right. And it didn't look to be in very good condition anyway. (laughs) You know, you can always have a bad apple. (laughs) Um, Yes. You know, maybe I'm just saying, um, I really like, are you saying Dean's a bad apple? No, what she was saying, like, why would a druid, you know, do that? I'm just saying, there's, there's, you know, there could be you a know, bad you open up the, the eggs at the, the grocery store, sometimes one of them's cracked. That's a great... Yeah. I like that. You don't... But you put that one back and you, you get different. Or maybe, like everyone else in this, you had horrible circumstances growing up as a child and then turned dark. Mm-hmm. I always buy the cartons with the bad egg. You yeah. don't open them? You, and you have to make no, sure I do. they're not sticking I to the I open bottom. them. I see one's broken. I was like, I don't want this egg carton to stay here all along. <gasps> I'm just kidding. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. I was going with it. I love that. Like, wow. Because they go somewhere. Where did they go? Yeah, they get thrown out. So I'm like, I don't want to waste this food. I'm sure they just take them at the end of the day and like no, they, 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 they take they them to the deli them. and they make egg salad out of them. I'm just trying to get you guys to buy those. It's just something so funny that we all do. It's ridiculous. Uh, Jeff said in an interview that the Druid chant is like the Jaws soundtrack whenever you know the shark is coming, and I really liked that. So I had to bring that up. That's cool. All right, guys. Well, that was a fantastic episode. But now we want to get into our interview with Ian. It's me. Because we are so happy that you joined us. It's been an amazing. Are we talking about me? I'm very happy. <laughs> we can share time, though. <laughs> we can share time. All right. So all right, my first question, I always am interested in how aspects from our childhood lead us into specific careers. What story from your childhood would you say contributed to you choosing to be an actor? Oh, man. You know, I think for me, I just, I, I I watched, somehow or another, I was always watching movies. I was always in front of the TV, not watching television, but watching, you know, watching films. And they just, um, you know, they just struck me. They were just so magical that, um, you know, I would watch the same movie every day for, you know, a month after school. And I just kind of learned life and, and no, no, not necessarily behavior, but like I just... I'm like, oh, this is what things are about through a series of movies as I grew up. And I liked uh, pretending. And then I, I once I realized that those two equated with, with what I was seeing was people pretending, I was like, that seems like a pretty good gig. 
So mm-hmm. I fell into it more so. You know, I wasn't really like, oh, I want to be an actor. Um, that didn't happen for me. I just started, and then I realized what it was, and then I fell in love with it after I started doing it a little bit, when I kind of had more of a sense of what it was. And then that's when I was like, okay, this is it for me. There's nothing else I, I want to do, and so I'm going to keep going. And so I just, I'm still going. Did you ever consider any other career option? Oh, man. <clears throat> I wanted to quit, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. I know, and I thought, what, you know, what can I do? I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to join the Navy. Um, you, you know, know what's I, fun is you can do all those things as an That's actor. what I say now. I'm like, it's so much better to play that on TV <laughs> than it is to go and do whatever. Uh, I want to be a baseball player. I still do. Um, I want to be a rock star more than anything. If I could. He's already it. mentioned this earlier. If anybody this needs a, a rock star. passion that he wants to be a rock star. I could try that. If you could play any role, past or present TV or film, what role would it be? Oh my gosh! That's you know, for me, one. I like roles where you can't really discern the actor playing them. Um, roles like Daniel Lewis does in "There Will Be Blood," in Lincoln, um, you know, "My Left Foot," in "Last of the Mohicans," things like that, where it's a complete separation from just a guy being, you know, a guy. You know, there's a lot of great actors that I adore, and they they're playing, you know them being you know doing cool stuff which i think is awesome but if you can't see the actor in the character anymore that to me is is really the epitome of it and i I would pray that i would be good enough to do that one day because that's that's just the pinnacle i think i think daniel lewis is is the best actor ever sorry marlon brando (laughs) sorry do you have a favorite genre um no 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 i like drama I like dramatics. I like histrionics. Um, at the moment, I like zombie movies. <laughs> I've always wanted to make that a, is definitely going with history. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I really, really, am, I, I'm you know I'm interested in that. Um, but Are you otherwise, old school zombie or like new age zombie? I kind of like the new age. I like I like Twenty Eight Days Later. Mm-hmm. I like um, Zack Snyder's um, zombie film that he made. Um, I just think it's neat. It's going a new direction. I'm not like a like a super nerd. I'm like a regular nerd, um, but I just I think it's neat. Um, but otherwise, just drama. I like drama. I like comedy too, but I think drama is really interesting right now. Can you talk a little bit about your acting process and the journey from season one to now season three and what's changed? Okay, um, season one was really really tricky because. I got the job. You know, the show hadn't been on. No one knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just call Teen Wolf, and I remember the movie because I've seen it, you know, 45 times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so I'm making Teen Wolf, so what do I do with that? And I get the job. I have no idea who the character is. I know what his name is. I have no idea that he was the alpha. I have no idea of the arc. So I'm doing these scenes, and I'm like, what? what's going on? <laughs> Does anybody know? And they're like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nobody would tell me because it was a big secret. So I'm trying to, you know, figure out what's happening and be as, as truthful to the material and, you know, try to make something of a character as you're going along. Um, and then in season two, you certainly know what's happening and you get an idea of who the guy is and what he's all about. And then you can start thinking, well, what does he want? What is he after? How does he behave? And then in this season, it's been the easiest, the freest and the most fun to explore and play with that. Mm-hmm. So it's more cemented. Um, so I'm having I'm having a ball doing it now because I actually know what the hell's going on. <laughs> What's one of your best memories on set? Um, you know I say I say this a lot. What I think about 
you know, it all melds together because everything is just, you know, it's like the same, the same places and the same people, and you can't can't really differentiate different moments. But what I what I do think about is when everybody's really tired and it's really late and it's five in the morning and you're you know kind of beat up and you're you know, everybody wants to go home and, and you look around and you see all the same faces feeling the same way and everybody gets together and we smile and have a giggle and we're like, okay, let's go, let's, let's do it, let's finish. And all of the personalities and all of the actors and, and the, the crew as well and our directors and our producers, they come together in those moments when everyone just wants to leave <laughs> and we finish Aww. and like we win together. And it's really, I haven't been on a set where that many people are on the same page in that way. And that's my favorite part of going to work is, is those faces at the end where it's like, dude, I, I want to go home. And we're like, let's just go. Let's finish this. And we do it. And that's when you're like, dude, this is great. So that's my that's the memory that I think of a lot. And that happens, you know, almost weekly, which is cool. That's, that's awesome. great. Um, is there a project that you're currently working on on the side or a future project? <clears throat> um, you know, I've I've done some some really neat arcs on some TV shows lately. Um that uh, you know the character I can't really give anything away may or may not come back into and so th- mm-hmm. those are always fun mm-hmm. you know to do but my you know my main number one job you know is Teen Wolf and I like mm-hmm. to devote all my time and energy to making sure I can do that as best I can and thank you because it shows I mean you're an amazing I'm character I'm glad you like it's very sweet thank you I appreciate <laughs> that that's very sweet so I always ask at the end of the interviews like is there like what's a goal for you in your acting career because a lot of people they look at you now and like they, they see you as being you know well you are you know you're successful in your craft and they don't really think about you know he has other goals too that he's chasing and they have a lot of goals but they're sitting at home watching you and you know what's funny is when you start how how your goals what you think you want how that changes as mm-hmm. you get older and you do more stuff um for me right now i want to um i want to direct huh? i want i want to be the storyteller for me mm-hmm. that's the most exciting part and that's what i looking back when i was watching those movies as a kid um what i liked about them was the story and i want to tell that story in my way and and as the director you get to do that and you get to shape that um and that is what i'm focusing on right now Adrian on Twitter actually asked if you enjoyed being the narrator of Visionary, and, and it's kind of like you were directing this episode in telling the story. Uh, yes, I did. I did very much. I like being able to decide how I'm going to tell the story and how I want the audience to see it, and that's the difference between performing as an actor and directing as a director is you can co- you know think about what the audience reaction is. As, as an actor, you're not supposed to think about you know that supposed to just do your thing but as a director you can you can manipulate mm-hmm. and I and that's really interesting to me I want them to see my story and the ideas that I have Adrian had one more question that I thought was really good he wanted to know what you would have gotten out of page turning in tonight's episode I think that I would have had a leash on Derek um, and been able to you know sort of guide him exactly where I wanted to go and had a you know, sort of like little minions that I could have, you know, my little my little ducklings that I could have worked with and, and mm-hmm. used, you know, as pawns as as I see fit. And it, you know, the opposite happened. I had then I had a loose cannon. I yeah. Had so that sucked for me. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I wanted. Thank you for answering all of my questions and all the fan questions. We really appreciate you You're welcome. being here. It was an amazing interview. You're welcome. And uh, let's go ahead and roll into predictions. Oh. <laughs> And now, 
Yeah, I always get confused whether like predictions are like my favorite part or my least favorite part. <laughs> we because have, when I'm right, I'm like, yeah. You've been right a lot. I mean, we have four episodes left. What do you want to see happen? Um, we find out who the druid is and Lydia, what what her power is next episode. Um, I want to know like who's going to be fighting in the end battle. What are the teams? Yeah, who's the Duroc, which we'll get next episode. And um, you guys don't know that, do you? No, we don't know. Mm-mm. We don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And, and um, we see in the in the preview episode that uh, Allison says something like, "He knows everything. He's planned everything." And we see that like UV light that she has. So I can only suspect that that was Argent, and he has a plan, and she's going to try to stop her dad from doing something. I'm not really sure. I think that we're going to have to see. Um, some alliances formed because I don't think they can go. I think there is going to be a big final battle, but I don't think they can go in as they are now because right now everyone's so divided. Right. And I think they're going to have to find a common enemy in this dark druid. But who's. Like that. That's good. What? <laughs> I, that's, I like that. I like that. Right. Does that mean I'm wrong? <laughs> that's, that's I just like the way you said it. <laughs> like, I feel like that was like, I'm wrong, but I do. I feel like they have to. Um, <laughs> come up with these alliances to mm-hmm. destroy this one power that's affecting all of them. Right. So. No, I think that's good. I can't wait for next week. And, hey guys, you can find me at Cinematic Escape on Twitter, or you can bing my blog, Cinematic Escape. Corey, the assistant editor on Dean Wolf, uh, he wasn't able to be here this evening, but you can come see him play in his band, The Articles, at the House of Blues tomorrow on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles. And I will actually be performing there as well, playing a few instruments yeah. at 1030 at the Sunset Strip House of Blues. Sarah, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me here next Sunday for True Blood. And Ian, where can we find you? When? Uh, tomorrow night. Are you coming to our show? Oh, what's tomorrow? What day is it? What day you is can today? find him at it's the House of Blues. Tuesday. No, on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, <laughs> at Ian Bowen. What's my name? Is there anywhere else, any blogs you have, any bands they can check you out in? No, no, nope, nope. That's you the only social on media. You thing, so you can be a rock star. I know, I know. I've been begging Posey to let me come play with him, but he's like, dude, I love you. No. But no. All right, right, guys. We'll tweet your questions to Ian, and we'll see you next week. From Bing.com, executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.